This is the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Eggenhart. And I'm Andrew Conway. Let's get on with the show. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. (laughs) (laughs) But this action is really incredible. Incredible. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you, you, you are an ostrich. The FA Cup semi-final draw was made and it pits Liverpool versus Manchester City in a huge clash. But I saw it mentioned that there are no trains to London in either city on the day of the match. Game at Old Trafford, anyone? It, it would make the absolute sense, to be honest, if they did do it. I, I, I know there's commercial reasons why they put them on in Wembley, but I frankly disagree with it. I think, I think you know, neutral venue, fine, the tradition, all that. There's plenty of venues around the place that could better suit both teams. That doesn't involve having to get the team to travel half the length of the country to go to a stadium that no one really likes going to <laughs> in a part of the world that's very expensive to get to. Um, so yeah, it, it would make perfect uh, sense to have it in Manchester or to have it indeed in Liverpool or to have it in any one of probably a dozen stadia <laughs> that exist closer to both teams, closer to both teams' fans and closer to better rail links. Yeah, like the in one sense it would be funny if they had a little Trafford just because it's Liverpool versus Man City, but yeah. also it's a much more practical solution as well. Like they could have it at Goodison, they could have it even just Newcastle if they wanted to go a little closer, but not quite uh, give a slight advantage to one of the other teams, maybe. Yeah, yeah, they get like that would be neutral. Like Villa Park, you know, back until whenever they decided to start hosting semi-finals was it ten years ago, twelve years ago. When they wanted to make more money from Wembley, uh, for whatever reason, obviously commercial, as we said, uh, they used to have them uh, routinely up in Villa Park and Old Trafford were us- the usual venues for the semi-finals. Uh, at least one of them, even if some of the cl- the teams involved were were playing, they would still play them up there, or indeed at the Millennium Stadium, which isn't that far away from either club either. Yeah, um, uh, it as well just speaks to the fact that, like, <coughs> excuse me, the train system in the UK clearly. Uh, you know, I don't know too much about it, but clearly there's not a lot of joined up thinking that they have no trains from that part of the world over to London on what would be a pretty big, busy day for uh, a lot of people to get the train. It just seems like they're they're leaving money on the table in that sense as well. It just seems rather stupid. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a funny one uh, to be honest, and pro- perhaps something could have been thought about before they even arranged this way back when, because the, these should be the considerations that are thought about when you're arranging when matches should be on at all uh just the permutations because i imagine you know they're pretty big teams to not even think about being in these uh in the in these involved at this stage of the tournament yeah and they'll, they'll both be in the quarterfinal of the champions league which uh the draw was made there on uh, it was a friday afternoon or friday morning they avoided each other there both in the quarterfinal and semi-final draw uh do we see them meeting in the final perhaps well, given given the way this season has gone, it would put a bit of symmetry on the whole thing. Um, like I, I did pick that Liverpool Man City would avoid each other in the cup, and it just felt right at the time. But maybe it it, it didn't feel right for the Champions League, and you know the the what the various models that are being run, and as well as the the bookies, uh, both believe that Man City and Liverpool are 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 both primed to be the favourites for this tournament. 
uh, one and two and you know the way the draw has gone it does look like if, if the form table were to continue on until may they would be meeting each other in paris is where they've they've removed this uh final two uh, and we won't <laughs> we'll have another situation of, of transport links linking the uk with everybody else but yeah it does seem set to happen um the other there there is interesting ties in that in that draw and we, it'd be very interesting to see how far Villarreal uh, managed to actually progress themselves if Benfica can actually pull out another shock as well in in the same in the same era of the of the draw uh, and how the big teams actually do perform in the next couple of rounds because I, I it's been unexpected so far the way that they've with the exception of probably Man City and Liverpool. Um, how they've gone about things although both Man City and Liverpool did underwhelm in their second leg performances in the last round yeah like uh, it's funny as well because I think you could probably say that this draw almost looks like it was seeded in a way because you've got the three I think heavy favourites all missed out at each other then you've got Chelsea and Madrid who are kind of maybe a little even although maybe not after what we saw at the weekend but you know um, they, they all avoided each other and then it means they could all meet in, in the semi-finals Chelsea Man City as well it could be a, a repeat of last year's final mm-hmm. uh, in the semis which uh, would be fun as well yeah it would and it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility it's happened in recent years the semi-finalists and finalists have meeting and in following years I'm thinking of Atletico and Real Madrid uh, drawing each other I'm thinking of uh, the way Bayern and Atletico did a few years ago as well, um, on alternative years of their final appearances. Um, so it is, yeah, it's a. It, I don't think away goals have ruined things so far, as in the lack of away goals have ruined things. I think we, we've kept fairly interesting uh, opposition, um, to put it lightly. Um, so, yeah, it's going, be, it's going to be an exciting next couple of rounds and we'll see how the away goal rule and the lack of it rather uh, starts to affect the business end of the tournament yeah and uh, one side that wasn't in the draw was Man United who got knocked out via 1-0 defeat at home to Atletico Madrid uh, it was a pretty uh, dour game overall and that's pretty much it for Man United season now isn't it yeah like I've been feeling this for a while and I know I've talked to you off air about it and like what is this season for Manchester United now is it entirely a transitional season as as we've been saying for the last few years, every time that the, everything starts to dissipate away and and it seems to not have a huge focus towards it. And it, it does very much seem like that's kind of what's all that's left now for Manchester United is to look towards the future and, and maybe Redneck is, is, you know, not settling scores isn't the right phrase of, uh, for it, but, you know, it's starting to mould the team into what it will be in the future in terms of there's a lot of players in Manchester United out of contract, there's a lot of youngsters in the club that have shown a lot of potential, and now's the time to kind of phase out those guys that are leaving the club and bring in the, the new young blood and, and prepare them for the next man to come and, and, and take charge of them for the future. Um, I think they were disappointed enough against Atletico, although it was Atletico and it, it was a classic Atletico Madrid performance. They've done this to almost every team in Europe at this stage at one point or another uh, at the at the top end of the game they they frustrate they you know win easy free kicks they they defend everyone behind the ball they 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 play immensely well on the counter attack they take their opportunities when they present themselves and they make you feel bad about losing to them so i don't think there's any dishonor in in manchester united losing that game um, but i i suppose there is still question marks over the the structure of the team how they're playing the personnel that are still getting into the side, the the big Cristiano Ronaldo question, the Harry Maguire's 
form for lack of a better phrase they're they're all big question marks and i think raniak has work cut out for him between now and the end of the season to to answer all of those questions yeah like you look at the the players that got on the pitch for my United, and you look at mata madich pogba lingard i think got on ronaldo played the full 90 minutes like these could all be gone in the summer so mm. um that speaks to, to how much work the, the club will need to do in the summer they still haven't even appointed a a manager uh we might maybe see some progress on that now at the international break i don't know but like uh, you know there's just so much turmoil going on there like you're right that the the manner in which they lost wasn't the most dishonorable exit they could have had you know i think it beats getting hammered in the next round by man city which is who they would have drawn if they'd gone through which could have happened based on just a few weeks ago um mm. so you know, in many respects, I think they might be pretty happy with the, with the way that it all unfolded. Um, their game management was really poor as well, as opposed to Atletico. We like say, but this was classic Atletico. They they played the ref very well. They mm. um, they they took their like they got pretty much just one chance all game really, but they took it and they took it well. Um, and they had that moment before the goal, a couple of minutes before where they scored, but it was ruled offside, and that really was foreshadowing for what was to come. And uh, you know, they show that they can still be quite the threat on the counter-attack as well, which the irony of, of that happening against Man United, given the way they've beaten some of the te- some of the big games uh, in recent years as well. Yeah. Uh, probably not lost on those players. No, no, it, it felt very, it was very, um, there was some artistic symmetry to the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think that over the next few weeks now when we come back in the international break, like, they do still have top four to five four, but as we'll touch on in a minute, it's not going their way either there and it doesn't you know, I think they'll need a really great run of form to get top four which doesn't look incredibly likely based on how they're playing mm. um, so you know in many respects this is a good opportunity to try you know they've, they've had great success with Alanga so far in the season you know they could bring in a few more uh, I think there's a, a left back called Fernandez who got called up to the Argentina squad uh, along mm. with 43 others uh, you know just because Argentina <laughs> is Argentina yeah. um, but he's clearly a bright prospect uh, Hannibal Mejbri is, is a guy is, I think that's how you say his name I have no idea Hannibal anyway is what they call him mm. he, he's another bright talent like they've got a few players coming through the academy that you know could be a good time to just bleed them in now as opposed to <laughs> letting another manager do it while trying to juggle all these other things yeah there is also an argument that there is good Manchester United players out on loan um what's your man's name at Norwich City um the was he a left Brandon 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 Williams yeah Brandon Williams there's a few others like that just kind of on loan at different clubs and maybe there is an argument to be made that the you know there should be room made in the squad for these players uh in place of you know Juan Mata Matic uh you know Jesse Lingard as probably Marcus Rashford maybe Cristiano Ronaldo you know, the, the at least there, there's we were expecting probably a five or six player turnout turnaround in, in or turnover in Manchester United in the summer, and maybe there isn't a call to be going out and spending an immense amount of money on on replacements. Maybe they're already there or they're already in the network of Manchester United players that can be drawn upon, and maybe that's something you can get behind for the future because you know you're looking around the place and you know we we we've spoken a lot about Chelsea in recent weeks and how they find of the future is uncertain for that club i i i still am more on the pessimistic side um of their ability to compete with the super clubs in 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 years to come um but there's an opportunity there now that wasn't there before for these clubs that are you know there thereabouts in terms of their you know routine qualification in the champions league their routine 
challenging for trophies that you can do this the right way you know Arsenal have started to do it I think Tottenham maybe at the appointment of Conte are starting to do it and if Manchester United get it right with their managerial appointment they have the resources and they have the people already there the players already there the 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 youth team setup already there to really make a run at this and and to you know march them into maybe not the new class of 92-esque uh, team, but a team that I think Manchester United fans can be proud of, rather than a team that looks like a, a group of mercenaries that are just waiting for their their payday and waiting to outlive the manager, which has certainly been their approach in recent years. Yeah, and even just looking at Tottenham, like it goes to show the power of just hiring a, a good coach. <laughs> like and, and Antonio Conte has really picked up a team that they look lost under Nuno Espirito Santo at the start of the season, and like while well, there's there's plenty of um, you know other factors that go into a team improving like it just go- does also go to show that if you just have a good manager they can they can do the business so uh, you know that's another lesson for Man United who, ch- who chose not to bring in Conte earlier in the season yeah and and you know the, you can definitely see a road not traveled <laughs> uh, an example of what could they could be experiencing I'm not saying that Conte has been bulletproof or has been uh, plain sailing at uh, at Spurs, but certainly there is a bit more of a design about them uh, than there is in Manchester United, where it does very much feel like they're they're throwing different formations, different player uh, selections at the wall and hoping some of it sticks. I think that Champions League uh, match was a, a case in point, and, and the number of players you've listed out earlier as well. The amount that the fact that there a lot of them are still involved is a bit of a you know makes you scratch your head a bit. But certainly the fact that they they seem to be the semblance of the core of the team when half of them at least are going to be without the club uh, come the end of the season that's fully expected and and there being big question marks then on, over the three other senior players in, in David De Gea, Harry Maguire and, and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and their futures at the club it's it's a bit strange that there hasn't been any kind of clear the air talks or the a clear you know pathway dr- driven uh, by the manager or by indeed the club itself to say these guys are here for the long term uh, because it's still completely unclear we don't know if Ronaldo will stay if they don't get Champions League football or if he'll stay anyway we don't know if Harry Maguire his confidence is shot for forever or is it just a very you know a blip in the road for him and we don't know if David Hay is wanted at the club um, so yeah it's a it's a it's a whole it's a whole series of question marks rather than answers I think at Manchester United at the moment yeah, whereas a team kind of on the on the rise at the moment is Arsenal, who did suffer a defeat this week, losing two 0 to Liverpool, but they they got back on their horse and they won one 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 nil at Villa, uh, which puts them I think two points clear of Man United with a game in hand and or two games in hand maybe as well, and they're they're uh, two points clear of Spurs as well, so um, or three points clear of Spurs. I they, yeah, they're three again. points clear of Spurs and four points clear of United, uh, game in hand over United, not Spurs. Game game in hand over both um, at the moment. So, yes, sir. Uh, uh, that that puts them in a pretty good position for top four, wouldn't you say? Yeah, like they have the hardest run in uh, of the of the three teams. I, I I'm 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 willing to kind of discount West Ham at this point. They played two more games uh, than uh, Arsenal fourth, and they're six points behind. So I, I I would say that they I wouldn't necessarily count them to to be involved in this. They'd have to win all of the remaining eight games and hope for misfortunes to to befall all three teams ahead of them. Um, so yeah, I I I think Arsenal do have, are in pole position at the moment. Their game in hand, I believe, is against Chelsea, and they also have to play Spurs in that run in as well. Um, although and United <laughs> and Manchester United. Um, although I you know I will see like earlier in the season, I think. I thought Arsenal would beat or at least put a better fight against these larger teams. They obviously lost very 
poorly to Chelsea right at the beginning of the season and they very tamely lost to Manchester United after starting well in that game and where Manchester United were there for the taking um, given that they, they very soon after sacked their manager um, or was that with Michael Carrick in charge I don't even remember anymore. yeah that was Michael Carrick Michael Carrick yeah so it was you know it was a very um, raw Manchester United side that were you know that if they lost the game I don't think any of the players would feel that bad about it or the you know the media or the fans would have like yeah I'm sure it was between managers and stuff like that and Arsenal crumbled under that pressure um, so I, 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 I am of the opinion that they're better now than they were earlier in that season they have a better form about them they have a better structure around the team they're scoring more goals and conceding fewer goals and presuming they get players back from injury in the next couple of weeks and there's an international break I would fancy them to at least get four points from Tottenham or Manchester United or at least three points from those from those like getting one win of that and that would probably be enough the elephant in the room with all of this is that uh, and I know we, we, we don't really know anything about it but Chelsea could still get a points deduction um, it does seem less likely the more the time goes on that it's not going to happen but given Chelsea's uh, uh for for shooting themselves in the foot in recent times I wouldn't put it past them and if that happens I very much think there's another space up for offer and, and it could be anyone's game for, for Tottenham and Manchester United I I do think Arsenal could still be got at very much uh, in this race um, but it is there. They're in the driving seat, and and it is theirs to lose. Yeah, like the funny thing as well is like two points in those two games would almost be more preferable than three. Um, just yeah. because you'd be denying points to, to your rivals. Six as pointer. Well. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. So that that'll be another interesting aspect to it all as well, and maybe Arsenal might get kind of stuck between you know do they go for it and risk losing or do they just settle for a draw and then you know mm. that can be a very difficult thing to to manage as well, and so. You know, I definitely wouldn't say it's over just yet, but uh, Arsenal's certainly in, in pole position right now. And they uh, definitely are still rattling a few people with their post-match celebrations, which seems very strange. You know, of course you'd celebrate a victory over anyone. Yeah, yeah. I Like, I, at this point, I wonder, is it... Are they doing it on purpose? Um, you know, to... Because I do know that there was... Um, you know the photos post match that have you know they're they're fairly commonplace now. But remember a few years ago, Roy Keane complained yeah, about yeah. it, and I think they did it to annoy Roy Keane. After a while, they were they made a point to keep doing it, and I think they might be keeping a point to do it. Obviously, there there is also um, the way it's being portrayed in the media is very obvious as well. Like if you, I saw a few angles where they put. I think when Bert Leno was throwing his arms up at the end of that uh, Arsenal Villa match on on, on Saturday afternoon, uh, two close-up cameras went after Burnt Leno immediately so the you know they were looking for him to celebrate and they had two different angles on him uh, and then they showed both angles as if he was celebrating at two different op- two different times but it was just the same celebration twice uh to kind of you know emph- emph- uh, emphasize it a bit more but yeah I think there is um I don't really get where this has come from in terms of the I know there's a I think Phil McNulty and a few other play- people out there have called it the celebration police um, where they've come from out out, out of uh, in recent times, you know the Paul Scholes, the Gabby Agbon Lahore, the Luke or not Luke Young, uh, Ashley Young, um, all of them just very unhappy with with the situation. There is a bit of sore loserisms about it, uh, definitely, because I don't think it is as bad as you know, Jose Mourinho running down the sideline and, and sliding in or or, or golden the Chelsea fans when he returned as a visiting manager. There, I don't think it's that kind of behaviour. <laughs> 
uh, I do think it's fairly standard, and I don't think it's it's inciting any hatred or any anger in the by the fans. It's never seemed to bother really the opposition players either, with the exception of the the kind of Wolves and Aston Villa players who've made a a point to mention it. Um, so it is a, a an odd one, and you know maybe it's just an easy target in Arsenal, and and you can get a narrative very easily drawn up about it as a result. Elsewhere then on Thursday, West Ham progressed in the uh, Europa League to the quarterfinals and they, they beat Sevilla. They came at the King and they did not miss. What a what a upset. Yeah, like and you know, there are other things happened in Spain at the weekend which might have made this a better result for Sevilla. Um <laughs> uh, and maybe the, the, the their season will turn on this now. Um I was surprised to say the least. I thought West Ham were done after that first leg. They didn't seem uh to be you know, that first leg performance was poor. Uh, to put it mildly, uh, and West Ham seemed to be rotating and stuff like that, and they were they obviously had a big match at the weekend against Spurs, and and that was seemed to be their priority for it. But fair play to them, they they all showed up, they they played their game, they they really just outfox the Sevillans, if that's the right word for people from Sevilla, but they definitely did outfox them and kind of had them um in the game plan and really got the goals and held on uh, for dear life as it went on and, and and Sevilla didn't have an answer to that uh, physically um so yeah I if I was Sammy be pretty happy with it and as you've said earlier on in the season this could be their best avenue to to qualify for um the big one uh, rather than league position yeah and I mean this is just you know a great story as well I think it's you know given the way that the the big six have kind of shut out the rest of the league from being able to compete in Europe you know, I do think it's always great when we get one of the mid-table sides going far in the competition. Obviously, Fulham got to the final uh, a while ago, and there's been, you know, Middlesbrough as well in the past have, have done it. But though, those stories have been few and far between in the last five, six years now. Um, so, you know, I think this is a really great occasion. Like, I think the London Stadium, you know, on its day can be a, a very great atmosphere, and uh, this is a great example of it as well. So, um, yeah, I was really pleased. Yarmolenko as well with the winner was, yeah. uh, was a nice touch too. So uh, that was... And they face Leon now in the quarterfinals. And if they win, they might face Barcelona. Like, how good is that? I know. And I was just looking at the draw that was being made. Like, the, the teams that are left are pretty, you know, well, not... I'd say we have some hipsters favourites in, in in the in the Europa League left at this point. We have Eintracht for Frankfurt, historically a, a hipster favourite. Atlanta, obviously. RB Leipzig, obviously. Uh, and indeed Braga uh, uh, but then we have big hitters as well like Lyon have you know historically been a very big side Champions League level side that, that qualified usually to the latter stages of the Champions League or at least to the last 16 and knockout stages Rangers obviously speaks for itself and Barcelona um, any West Ham getting a tie against any of those would be a massive occasion for the London Stadium um, um, and obviously Leon are first up but yeah it, it's I for West Ham fans I'd say it's a very exciting time and the, the possibility of getting Barcelona and the possibility of, of of reaching a European final at this stage is very exciting altogether. Yeah, and the performance as well was very good. Like, they, they deserve to win it for a finish, like I thought. And uh, Miguel Antonio was a real standout. Like, I know he's been great this season anyway, but he just looked like a foot taller and a foot wider than everyone on the pitch. Like, any time he'd, he'd a 50-50 with someone, he came out on top, it felt like. So... Um, you know, and watching it, I just thought this guy could score thirty goals in La Liga. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, and that's like there is something to be said about you know preparing for the opposition uh, effectively. And we said this earlier in the season. I think Mikel Antonio should have gone to Man City. I think Man City should have bought him uh, for the season. I think there would be less of a title challenge on if they if they had signed him. 
Um, I I I'm, I strongly believe that I, I they underest he was underestimated by some of these European uh, teams to think that maybe he's just a traditional physical uh, old old fashioned English. I know he's not English, but old fashioned English up, uh, center forward. He's more than that. He's a bit more dynamic, and he's very. He, it's almost like playing a, a, a pressing midfielder. Like um, we we won't go into Joel Ellington or anything like that, but it's like playing against someone who has a bit more about their game than just being a finisher in the box. He's a guy that runs, chases, that annoys you, uh, that grates on you, that but also can bring in his uh, uh, players with his footballing skill as well and his intelligence. Uh, and really, Sevilla weren't able to cope with that, and I'd worry for Leon as well. That's why I'm I'm looking ahead to the other oppositions that are available in the tournament because I I don't see how they could cope with it much better than the team currently in second in La Liga. Yeah, and he got a nice little assist as well with the first goal too, which was nice. And uh, yeah, the then uh, elsewhere in Europe, uh, Barcelona they went through by beating Galatasaray, and then they topped it off with a nice four 0 win in the Clasico over Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. So uh, it looks like. Xavi's maybe turning everything around all of a sudden. Well, it's. I don't think it's all of a sudden. I think it is a gradual improvement that he's been making. Um, well, through... to, be, to be able to do it over a season, I do think, like midway through a season, I do think is a bit kind of you know rapid. <laughs> yeah, like I'm. In in fairness, the the fundamentals are were always there at Barcelona. There, I think, like even before the beginning like even having lost Messi before the beginning of the season they have a pretty decent squad you know filled with World Cup winners filled with Champions League winners uh, you know filled with experienced youngsters and some of the most exciting youngsters in in, in world football they just weren't singing off the same hymn street and maybe Xavi coming in saying the right things getting them playing the right way and also offloading some of the, the more troublesome players that were left in the squad or players who just didn't fit in, in the whole makeup of, of the team was the right way to go about it and the additions that he's made to the squad while not ideal in terms of he couldn't get rid of some other players and bring in some other ones he wanted they seem to be fit the ground running like Aubameyang looks made for La Liga in terms of him just standing there and waiting for the ball to be brought in by a hundred different creative players playing behind him in the, in the team um, and him just being clinical is fantastic for him uh, and looks like he should have moved to Spain 10 years ago and he might be one of the best players in the world or considered one of the best players in the world. Um, yeah, it, it is something else. Their goal scoring has gone back up to where they used to be. Their their defensive record has improved dramatically as well. They, they are the very reminiscent of the Barcelona of old, even pre-Valverde. We're looking back at, at Luis Enrique era. Um, with a lot worse players, you have to say. like There is no Messi in this team. There's no Neymar in this team. There's no Suarez in this team. They are players that, you know, while not, you know, Sunday League players, they're not of the same quality or same vintage, but they really did dispatch Real Madrid team that's ran away with this league this year, 4-0. Really, Real Madrid didn't have many chances in it. Barcelona, if they had taken their chances, like there was, there was some bad misses in the game. Uh, Barcelona could have even been further ahead uh, if if they had better finishers and better players on the field. Um, so I don't know where this came from absolutely nowhere I, I did notice the post-match interviews from some of the Real Madrid players being very candid that this was their worst performance of the season by far that they you know they can't this can't happen again otherwise they'll, they'll collapse like very doomsday type, type talk from them so it really did rattle them um, I still think they've probably got enough in them they're nine points clear of Sevilla I think uh, but wow it, it's going to be it's going to be a run, and if, if if Real Madrid can't arrest this and and stop it from happening again, 
Um, and I think it's just a good news story for Barcelona because we were talking about them earlier on in this season about not qualifying for Europe at any level. That maybe they're in the, being the Conference League that they were that bad, but they've really just hit the you know they've hit the button on on winning matches and they're doing more than enough every week now. Yeah, because Atletico Madrid have kind of hit that same switch in in La Liga as well. Like the two of them are on a fine winning run at the moment, and they they like if they keep that up and Real Madrid don't react well. To this, they could find themselves closing that gap, and Sevilla certainly, you know, they've thrown away some silly points in recent week. They, recent weeks, they must be thinking, you know, what if, uh, and maybe being out of the Europa League now, as, as you kind of alluded to earlier, could be uh, beneficial to their league challenge mm-hmm. now. Yeah, absolutely. Like they've they're they're undefeated in the last, but I think four of the last five matches they've drawn, which is if you're going for at least challenging for a league title, it's it's un, you can't do that. Like they would be clear of Real Madrid if they at least at least converted some of those games um, to full points. So it, it it's a bit unfortunate for them. They've drawn twelve matches this season. I don't think you can draw twelve matches and and win a, a league title. Um, and so they unless need to you're go unless you're Arsenal in a, unless in you're Arsenal. A... Yeah, but that's that's it though. You can draw. 12, <laughs> you have, to, but not have lose. to win all the others. Yeah, um, that's the only way you're going to get there. Uh, and I don't think the Sevilla side under Lopetegui are, are that. Like I, I did think they signed well. They played some good football in post Christmas, but they're I don't know what's the, whether they've hit a mental block or whether they've realised that Europa League was taking too much out of them, and now they must switch to the league all all in. Um, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see in coming weeks what happens. It's This year we've had teams like Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest and Middlesbrough all make deep runs in the FA Cup. They've knocked out big teams along the way. Yet we've still got the the Premier League's top three clubs fighting in the competition. We've had other fun stories around, through the rounds. Have rumours of the great tournament's demise been greatly exaggerated? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, still think it, I still think it has been a bit of a, a damn squib this year. It does very mm. much, more more so than maybe any other year. Uh, in recent times it's starting to feel like the the Carabao Cup the League Cup um, teams are not necessarily phoning it in but having it midweek having it alongside Premier League fixtures and other league fixtures kind of dem- dem- demotes the tournament's importance uh, the fact that I, I'd imagine Man City and Liverpool fans much would have much rather well maybe I'm talking out of turn here but maybe they would have much rather been involved in Premier League games this weekend uh, to really kick them through, you know, to 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 keep that title race going and keep the excitement of that going, um, but the like you said, they're all there, thereabouts. These big teams, the the you know, teams that are three of the four teams are still in the Champions League or in the FA Cup. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. What do you think about the this this you know the once great tournament that's kind of falling away into nothingness? Well, I do think this has been better than than in recent years, where it was just kind of like, kind of meh, nothing really happening, no interesting storylines, you know, the odd upset here and there, but it was usually the big teams knocked each other out and then got to the the later stages, like Palace are kind of the the last remaining straggler, Um, so, you know, give them a little mini FA Cup, I suppose, uh, for (laughs) getting through all all the rest of England and having to face the big final boss at the end but like you know Nottingham Forest you know they got to reignite their rivalry with Liverpool from the 80s and 70s so I, th- I think that was a, a great occasion uh, Middlesbrough run, Middlesbrough's run where they knocked out United at Old Trafford and they <clears throat> they they beat Tottenham at the Riverside like those are two pretty big games yeah 
Um, you know, I think the lack of replays has kind of actually helped because it's, you know, sometimes when a, when a match ends in a draw, it's kind of felt a bit like, oh, okay, well, the bigger team will just come back in the second game and, and they'll learn their lessons and they'll pummel the other team. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do think that's helped as well. I've had a couple of penalty shootouts, which is always fun. And, you know, West Ham really got knocked out by, I think it was, I can't remember the name of them, but the Kidderminster maybe it was a league one or a non-league side. Uh, you know, late, mm. late comeback there was needed to, uh, to get back into the game. Chelsea needed penalties or almost needed penalties to get through Luton. Uh uh, and another game that I can't remember. Like, there's been some good. There's been some good. Like, normally, when the FA Cup is on on the weekend, it's kind of easy to ignore it. But yeah. I think it's 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 gradually drawn people in this season, which has been nice. Like, it could just be a one-off that this is the way things are. You know, every few years, and and it'll go back to the way it's been next year. Um, but you know, I think it's it's good signs, and uh, you know, it, it just shows the 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 fun uh, kind of side adventures that you can have in, in, in a cup competition. Yeah, you know, and as we said last time around, you know, Crystal Palace again trying to exercise the demons of Alan Pardew uh, from <laughs> Sellers Park and, and doing whatever they have to do to do their to do that. They will be the favourites of everybody that's probably watching this from a neutral's point of view. They'll want the, you know, obviously the FA probably want Chelsea to make the final, but everybody else in football is probably going for Palace uh, in, in the whole tournament, let alone the semi-final. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I I see. I agree with a lot of the points you made. I just I just feel like the 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 shifting around of the schedule, moving entire rounds to midweek, um, kind of devalued the whole thing. I do agree that replays probably like there is something to be said for replays happening to for those small sides because they get the extra revenue and they they you know usually that's the difference between them surviving and not surviving. Um, so there is something to be said for replays in those regards but yeah I get what you mean in terms of the competition in terms of excitement uh, it's much better having it all on one day and, and getting penalty shootouts in there um, and, and extra time indeed as well to, to kind of really get the money's worth out of the tournament um, yeah but it's it's yeah it, it, it's it's not dead yet obviously I'm not going to say the FA Cup is dead or anything like it I think a lot of teams still value it very highly it's just it's it feels like more so than ever that it's at a level pegging or very close to the Carabao Cup now that could be said that the Carabao Cup has increased in importance to a certain level as well especially on the big times big sides you know Man City taking it seriously every year Liverpool winning it this year um you know, in, in in times gone by, you know, Mourinho using it as a as a stepping board towards bigger trophies with with both Chelsea and Manchester United. You know, all of that does come into it, but yeah, it does feel like it's been devalued a bit. Um, all of that being said, I think the fact that Man City are playing Liverpool now in the end of or the middle middle to end of April will draw a huge amount of significant um, attention to the tournament. I think it'll take on extra spice uh as well depending on how the champions league goes and how how things lead in that tournament as well it could be set for an almighty showdown between the teams in a way that we haven't seen since maybe 99 with arsenal and arsenal and manchester united drawing each other in the semi-final of the fa cup while both were still you know hidden for the league as well at the same time uh, and this now we have the added complexity of the champions league thrown in so it, it it's going to be a very hot button topic before the end of the season definitely yeah and like I, th- I do think that you know <clears throat> with most competitions it does tend to live and die on how the semi-finals and the final go like we always remember 
the Champions League by its final and the FA Cup by, by its final or its semi-final in the case of 1999. So obviously I might be counting my chickens before they hatch or whatever that saying is. So uh, we'll see how, how that goes. Um, but though I, I do think that that could be a potentially great tie, especially when you factor in that they could um, be, they could know already at that stage, I think that they'll be playing each other in the, in the Champions League final or they might have a rough idea at that stage. So, uh, and you know the the league table could look like anything between now and then, so that yeah. that will be a a pretty huge occasion because we saw last year as well that um, Man City played Chelsea in the semi final uh, of the FA Cup and it wasn't a great game, but it did become a precursor for the Champions League final to come uh, a few weeks later. So uh, it's funny as well how that uh, has kind of repeated itself here potentially. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of I was just going to bring that up that uh, you know how we saw how Chelsea and. And Man City kind of interacted with these these fixtures in this tournament last season, especially as they drew each other in those at later parts of the season. And whether we see a bit of gamesmanship happening between the teams again, um, um, yeah, it, it is very it is very interesting. You know, Liverpool are going for that historic quadruple. I do not think they'll get there, uh, but Man City at the same time could realistically win a treble again. I don't see it happening. Um, I think they'll 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 both conspire to to screw that up somehow. Um, but it, it is a very, uh, I suppose, exciting time to kind of watch what unfolds. Yeah, and, and it was nice to see the likes of Middlesbrough and Forest, who do have a mm. good history in uh, English football, and you know Middlesbrough love the cups in in, in their history as well. Forest they love losing to Chelsea in the cups, absolutely. <laughs> they do, and and there's a bit of heat going in that game as well, the way Chelsea were going on and asking for it to be played behind closed doors and stuff like that. And of course, Forest were more of a League Cup team under Clough, never quite won the FA Cup, but. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they had a great history with Liverpool, so that was uh, another great occasion there as well. Oh, absolutely, and and they both can be, you know, I think, not that Middlesbrough let themselves down against Chelsea, but I never thought they were really in that game massively. Um, and Forrest on the other side, they are punching way above their weight even getting to this phase, you know, knocking out, you know, beating Huddersfield who on, on their day was good in the last round, but obviously beating Arsenal and beating local rivals in Leicester, huge season for them in terms of, of of showing where they are and where they're growing towards um perhaps they're not at the premier league standards or, or, or level ready to go up to the premier league now but it, it shows huge kind of potential for the future and also what chris wilder has started to do at middlesbrough is really get them really singing off the same hymn sheet for the first time in since they were in the premier league last time around and I think he's a guy that will stay there long term as well and build something with you know he's he's getting pretty good performances out of the a lot of the lone players he signed they're difficult to beat they're difficult to play against and yeah I, I can see both of these sides really turning some of this cup form into into league form yeah because like we've seen now both are competing for the playoff places in the cham- cha- or in the championship so like we could see one of these two teams in the Premier League next year and you know it could be said that They'll need to do a bit of recruitment to stay up, but they've shown as well that they both have the fight, that they, they would definitely, yeah. they wouldn't just be a Derby County picking up 12 points and going straight yeah. back down. Like, I do think both would be decent additions to the Premier League if they could manage to get up. Yeah, they both have managerial nous. Um, I think they both, you know, not Forest manager used to be the England assistant and the underage manager, you know, he knows how to get something out of young players, get them excited, get them playing for him. Uh, I think he's shown that at Forest in a, a previous jobs as well, and Chris Wilder's been there and done that. At, uh, in in the isn't it Chris Wilder at Middlesbrough? He's been there and done yeah. that with Sheffield United. He seems to have them going, and I think he's learned. Like obviously, some of that's a bit bitterness from his experience in the Premier League, but certainly he's approaching this with a slightly I don't want to say more professional manner. 
Um, but he's, I think, a lot more experienced than he was even even at Sheffield United. I think he's taken that to heart. Uh, a lot of the the lessons learned he had at, at the club, and and he's brought them to Middlesbrough. They just feel a much more together outfit under him than they did under previous management. Yeah, and uh, then of course there's the international break coming up now, so we won't uh, do any big previews. But Scotland and Wales, I believe, are uh, vying for a World Cup spot. Do we think they can get there? Uh, like. What what is the situation with 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 the Ukraine in that whole situation? Um, well, Scotland uh, are set to play Ukraine, right? So that game was postponed, I believe, till June. So it's it's basically just Wales right now that are trying to get yeah. into the World Cup immediately. Um, but uh, yeah, the 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 draw it's it's because Scotland aren't going to play Ukraine yet. It's going to be the first time the World Cup draw happens where it's incomplete because oh. um, that's happening. I think on April Fool's Day, which is uh, <laughs> well done, funny in itself. <laughs> Congratulations! Um, yeah, so we'll obviously have that to talk about next week, but uh, or two weeks time. But do, do we think Wales will be in the draw? Yeah, like I think Wales have an opportunity to to get to that final, or the playoff final, whatever you want to call it. I think they have um, a lot of top class good players who are playing. You know, Gareth Bale aside, he he does he is someone that while not maybe doing the business at club level anymore, he does tend to show up for for international football. Aaron Ramsey's obviously playing um, right regularly now, which he wasn't doing earlier on in the, in the year. And they've got a lot of good young players um, that are that are exciting to watch. And yeah, so I think Wales do have what it takes to get to the final. Of that whether they can get beyond it, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, certainly them. I I'm, I have a very much interest in the other um, playoff matches that are happening. You know, Senegal versus Egypt. You know, Mo Salah or Saudi Mane won't be at the at the tournament, and as well as Portugal versus um, who are Portugal playing again. It's it's a toss up between Portugal and Italy, but they both Italy have to is. win a game to to get yeah. there, I believe. Which so would be one, yeah, they they're both you know stalwarts of the World Cup, I would say. So one of them is definitely missing out, and both could be missing out. So mm. that would be a big story as well, especially given you know Italy won the European Championships there earlier in the year, or earlier last year rather. So I expect Italy to go through. If I'm being honest, like overall, I still think they were. A bit unfortunate. There was a bit of a hangover involved from the winning that tournament in the in, uh, and a bit going into it as well. That kind of led to their you know they weren't that far away from qualifying and and getting put into the playoffs. Portugal are a very exciting young side. I don't know if the management's there, and you know this could be Ronaldo's last opportunity at a World Cup. You, you know you'd never want to say never against a guy that's still going at this level at whatever he is, thirty seven years of age. Will he be still going there, forty one years of age? I don't think so. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of little narratives happening uh, below the below the surface, and um, the last one then I think is I think Ghana are playing Nigeria in the playoff as well. Yeah, they which are, is a yeah. big that would be, you know, there, there'll be a lot of very good players missing out in the in the tournament, and if Nigeria managed to do what they did in Afcon again and kind of flatter to deceive, I think there could be the, the most populous country in Africa not being in the World Cup, which would be an unfortunate um, turn of events for that for the tournament. Yeah, like the I think it's, there's five games in in Africa, and all five are winner goes through basically, and mm-hmm. yeah, they're pretty brutal. So, uh, so pretty big countries over there uh, are gonna miss out. So they'll definitely be ones to keep an eye on as well as the European ones. So uh, that'll give us plenty to talk about next week. But until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. I'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast. 
You can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Conbon27, C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at CheesyHeartPun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say. <laughs>